from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. High stakes hearing the Supreme Court questions state efforts to regulate social media content. And a record setting gift, the $1 billion donation that will provide free tuition at a medical school in the Bronx. Earning her wings, a teenager from Staten Island becomes one of the youngest African-American licensed pilots. Good evening. Welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Joe Torres. We begin with the United States Supreme Court and a case that could change the course of social media in this country. The Supreme Court wrestled with state laws that could affect how Facebook, TikTok, X, YouTube, and other social media platforms regulate content posted by their users. Texas and Florida both passed laws that forbid social media companies from blocking or removing user content that goes against the rules. ABC's Ike Jachi is in Washington with a look at the arguments and how the court's decision could impact the future of the internet. Ike. Good evening, Joe. Listen, these stakes could not be higher in this case with implications that could affect the upcoming presidential election. The hearing beginning with the justices considering Florida's law, which makes it illegal for tech companies to ban candidates on the ballot in the state from their social media sites. Florida Solicitor General Henry Whitaker, often likening social media companies to telecommunication companies, argues social media companies are unfairly censoring conservative viewpoints on their sites, and that the platform's portrayal as passive hosts undermines their arguments that their content moderation policies amount to protected speech. We agree, we certainly agree that a newspaper, a book and a bookstore is engaging in inherently expressive conduct. And our whole point is that these social media platforms are not like those. And but why doesn't are it depend on exactly what they're doing? Justice Sonia Sotomayor questioning if the law is overly broad, going on to name a wide range of companies that could be affected, like the digital marketplace Etsy, affecting someone's ability to shop online. This is so, so broad. It's covering almost everything. Justice Amy Coney Barrett echoing her colleagues. We're talking about the classic social media platforms, but it, it looks to me like it could cover Uber. It looks to me like it could cover just Google search engines, Amazon Web Service, and all of those things would look very different. Paul Clement arguing on behalf of NetChoice, a group challenging the Florida law, drawing a clear distinction between a government and a private party engaging in content moderation. Is it anything more than a euphemism for censorship? If the government's doing it, then content moderation might be a euphemism for censorship. If a private party is doing it, content moderation is a euphemism for editorial discretion. Now, Joe, a ruling that would force tech companies to have no editorial discretion could affect their business model, which relies on curation to attract advertisers and users. A decision on this is expected in June. Joe, back to you. Ike Jachi in Washington. Ike, thank you. Tonight, there is simmering outrage about police body cam videos posted on YouTube that show police arresting young women in New Jersey. Many of the videos have suggestive headlines and drawn millions of views. The videos are available to the public to encourage police accountability, but instead someone has posted them online to make a profit. Cops tell us that is legal, but it shouldn't be. New Jersey reporter Anthony Johnson looked into it. You swerve completely all over the road. It is certainly humiliating to get stopped and undergo a road sobriety test. 
How much did he have to drink tonight? But this police body-worn camera of such an incident made its way to a YouTube channel using the Open Public Records Act, or OPRA, which gives media access to these encounters. Right now. Police in Monville noticed one of their body-worn stops on the YouTube channel and heard from other police agencies the person operating the website had only asked for DWI stops of young women. Some are underage. So we received one, uh, but speaking with the other chiefs, they each have, their numerous other chiefs have received uh, similar requests. According to reports, one woman asked the YouTuber to take down the video of her stop but was told she would have to pay to get it removed. Legislators are now looking to protect young people caught in this embarrassing situation, especially women who seem to be exploited because in many videos, they are underdressed. The YouTube channel has received millions of clicks. So this legislation, while it recognizes the importance of Oprah, uh, would help to curtail this kind of abuse of the system. The state senator says this is not an effort to stop the media from getting access, but is needed to protect people in the modern age of technology where videos can be requested and used just to get exposure. You'd have to get the person's consent before posting their image on the Internet. The owner of the YouTube channel says he does this for educational purposes, and the senator's bill would be an infringement on the rights of the press. In Montvale, New Jersey, Anthony Johnson, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Three people wanted in connection with the murder on the subway last week are in police custody tonight. A 45-year-old man was shot and killed on a southbound D train in the Bronx on Friday morning. It is the latest in a string of high-profile crimes on the subway in the last few weeks. And as Eyewitness News reporter N.J. Burkett shows us, crime was front and center at today's MTA meetings. Investigators say the shooting was captured start to finish by onboard surveillance cameras. The images of the three suspects were plastered across TV, newspapers and social media. This morning, all of them were arrested. NYPD Transit Chief Michael Kemper. Now over the weekend, uh, identifications were made uh, and there are three people in custody right now. That's as far as I'm going to go uh, in relation to that. The victim was on a train. Uh, three individuals stepped on a train, uh, words were exchanged, they turned physical, led, you know, led to uh, uh, this unfortunate homicide. It happened on board a D train in the Bronx at 5 a.m. on Friday. The victim, identified as 45-year-old William Alvarez, the second deadly shooting on a Bronx subway in two weeks. On February 12th, one rider was killed and five others injured after a shootout on board a number four train in Mount Eden. The NYPD is deploying more than 1,000 additional officers into the subway system. An intensified uniformed presence intended to stop a sudden spike in violent crime. In the month of January, overall crime surged 45% in the subway system over the same period last year. And in the past three weeks, crime is down 18% compared to February of last year. Yet, year to date, crime is still up 13%. And arrests are up 45%. MTA officials and NYPD commanders insist that the tide is turning. Chief Kemper told an MTA committee today that the massive police presence underground is paying off despite the recent headlines. The surge in additional offices is a similar strategy to how we reversed the crime trend last year. These cops are out there and highly visible, stationed at turnstiles, on mezzanines and platforms, and riding the trains.
and it seems that this tremendous investment is immediately paying dividends. Hundreds of officers were surged into the subway system back in 2022, but that deployment was scaled back after several months after crime went down and overtime costs soared. The NYPD is hoping for longer lasting results this time. In Lower Manhattan, NJ Burkett, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. We hear tonight from two NYPD officers who jumped onto the subway tracks to save a man who fell from the platform. He suffered a medical episode. The officers pulled the man to safety in less than a minute. This happened last week at the West 181st and Fort Washington Avenue train stop in Washington Heights. The officers say they were on patrol when they heard a thud. I jumped onto the train tracks and I picked the guy up. Once I saw my partner was on the tracks already, it made no sense for me to be down there as well, since the tracks is a very dangerous, dangerous place. Comes with the job. This is what we signed up for, to help the people of New York. That man hit his head and was bleeding, but doctors expect him to be okay. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, growing tributes for an owl that made New York his home. How the legacy of Flocko could lead to new protections for other birds, plus this. The Albert Einstein College of Medicine will be tuition free. How great is that? The billion dollar gift that just changed the lives of thousands of medical students in the Bronx and legions of students to come. New Yorkers and bird lovers across the country are mourning the death of Flacco. The beloved owl became somewhat of a celebrity after escaping from the Central Park Zoo and flying free in the city for more than a year. On Friday, Flacco flew into a building on the Upper West Side and died. As Eyewitness News reporter Lindsay Tuckman shows us, tributes are underway to honor the winged sensation and what he represented. He made the urban jungle his home, and now it's where he's being remembered. Flacco, New York's beloved Eurasian eagle owl, died Friday after a year of flying free in the city. Every day, I would see him right up here. He was also recently known to fly and perch around nearby apartment buildings, like this one on West 89th Street, where Superintendent Peter Nikach sadly found him on the ground of a courtyard Friday. When I came in, I saw him right behind my door, feeling, you know, opened arms, and he was still alive. Nikach called building resident Alan Drogan, an avid birder, and the two called professionals to try and revive Flacco, but it was too late. An initial exam conducted by the Wild Bird Fund indicates that Flacco died from trauma, possibly from crashing into a window. But the Bronx Zoo is performing more tests to determine if any other factors like rodenticide led to this happening. It's kind of sad because this is not really the environment for them. Uh, it's not natural. So many people, though, are inspired by Flacco's story. He broke free from the Central Park Zoo February of 2023 after someone cut through his steel mesh cage. And he didn't just survive, he thrived. I think it's uh, just a symbol of freedom. Flacco's death is inspiring more than just this growing memorial. New Yorkers and politicians alike looking to find ways to make his short stint of freedom last forever. A petition is being circulated to erect a statue in the park in Flacco's honor. And city leaders are renewing a push for a bill that would require new or renovated buildings to have bird-friendly designs. It has been renamed Flacco's Act. In Central Park, Lindsay Tuckman, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. The cover story of a city hall hearing today, the banning of books. 
the heads of the New York, Brooklyn, and Queens Public Libraries told a packed room of lawmakers about their efforts to stop the nationwide ban of certain novels. Last year, the American Library Association recorded censorship attempts on nearly 2,000 books across 32 states, the highest number in two decades. While there are no banned books in New York, public library systems run programs that make banned materials more accessible to others. Libraries are for everyone. They are the most visited, the most trusted, the most essential civic institution in this town and throughout this country. And that means we need to stand up as we are, as you are, at this moment of challenge. Experts say books on racism, social justice, people of color, and the LGBTQ community are the most targeted for censorship. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, tuition covered. The record-setting gift in the Bronx that just changed thousands of lives. Setting gift will ensure students at a medical school in the Bronx will no longer have to pay tuition. A longtime professor donated $1 billion to the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, removing a major financial hurdle to becoming a physician in a historically underserved borough. The endowment by 93-year-old Dr. Ruth Gottesman changes lives for decades to come. Eyewitness News reporter Lauren Glassberg has the story. It costs a lot of money to go into medicine. I was taking out, I think, 60K for the tuition and then more for living expenses and rent. But all of that changed today for Nick Garvey and all the medical students at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. The Albert Einstein College of Medicine will be tuition free. Free thanks to a spectacular $1 billion gift by Dr. Ruth Gottesman. Gottesman was a longtime professor at the school and is the current chair of the board. The money came from her late husband's investment in Berkshire Hathaway, an investment that will now open the door for students who may never have considered becoming doctors. I really hope this brings more diversity to the field um, because there's so many people who I guess wouldn't have chosen this field because they didn't want to be in so much debt. Something Leave a Lab won't have to experience. My mom's been a physician yeah. for 30 years. She's still paying off her debt from medical <laughs> yeah. school. Like this is really, really like life changing. Yeah. I think people don't even comprehend how much it can change the trajectory, like trajectory of our life. Wow. It's really, we're really, really grateful. The gift is the largest ever to a medical school and it goes to a school located in the Bronx where the poverty rate is higher than any other borough. It's also the least healthy county in the state with high rates of obesity and premature death. Doctors educated here may also choose to work here, and that's another way this donation does good. I think a lot of people are gonna stay, which I think was great for the community. Ruth Gottesman is 93 years old and didn't wanna be interviewed about her gift, nor does she want the medical school renamed for her. And that, students say, is inspiring, that she's so humble while making such a big impact. In the Bronx, Lauren Glassberg, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. What a fantastic story. Eagles frontman and co-founder Don Henley took the stand in a New York courtroom today.
to tell his version of how handwritten pages from the development of Hotel California and other hits ended up in the hands of collectors. Three collectibles professionals face charges for allegedly conspiring to hide more than 100 pages of legal pad paper with lyrics in progress and other notes for multiple songs. According to an indictment, the defendants tried to sell the manuscripts despite knowing they were stolen. It also alleges they lied about how they got the papers. All three defendants pleaded not guilty. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, meet the teenager from our area who is making history as one of the youngest black female pilots ever. And a live look outside. How about that? Meteorologist Jeff Smith joins us with the exclusive AccuWeather forecast. As we celebrate Black History Month, we introduce you now to a young lady whose future is taking off. At 16 years old, this teenager from Staten Island may be the youngest African-American licensed pilot in the United States. And as Eyewitness News reporter Shantae Lance shows us, the sky is not the limit for this young aviator. For Kamora Freeland, flying is everything. I have a passion for it and I love it. The Kingsboro Early College High School senior says she's ready for the biggest test of her life. Today I'm taking my check ride, so that's the test to get my pilot license. You heard that right. At just 17 years old, the Staten Island honor student hopes to become a pilot, already passing her solo and cross-country flights, taking her mother last summer to Mother's Vineyard. She flew me and I enjoyed it and she really did it and I couldn't believe that, I, that she was the pilot of the plane that I was sitting in the back of. But it all boils down to today. I live in Atlanta and I came to see it, yeah. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Her family waiting eagerly in anticipation. It's exciting. I, I'm real excited about this here. Me? I'm scared of heights, so I ain't going, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be, to see her doing this, it's like just amazing. And um, to be so young and uh, mature at that age to even, to even want to do it, it's just amazing. Kimura flying for about an hour with a designated pilot examiner before touching down and finding out. I didn't see this a year and a half ago. And to be here and to see it with my own two eyes, I'm grateful. I got up the swamp, couldn't even hardly walk, but I knew I had to be here. She said that. Oh. Another hug from her dad. Dad. So proud of you. And even from a Tuskegee Airman. Congratulations. Congratulations, little sis. Her flight instructor, who started teaching and flying with her at 15. She's focused and she's still just a kid. Definitely amazing. Like I'm a part of the change that's definitely needed. And um, yeah, like I want other little black girls to do the same. Sky's the limit for Kimora, literally. She's enrolling at Spelman College in the fall. Her next stop is her commercial pilot's license. In Farmingdale, Shantae Lands, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. Here is the first look at the photos of the surface of the moon, those photos sent back by the Odysseus lunar lander. These images captured during its descent shows a crater on the moon's south pole. NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter 
was also able to spot the spacecraft as it landed. Odysseus is the first U.S. lander to reach the lunar surface in more than 50 years. Now, yes, it tipped over during the landing, but it is working. It will have less than a week to capture data before darkness stops its solar panels from getting energy. Time now for a look at the exclusive AccuWeather forecast. We've got some energy because we're getting some warmth, aren't we? We are in a big way today. Already got up to 55. We're off to a fast start this week in terms of the temperatures, and we get up close to the 60-degree mark by Wednesday. But we will pay eventually with some showers returning, maybe even some rumbles of thunder by Wednesday evening. 48 right now in the city. Got a light wind out there. This will generally be coming in from a southerly and a southwesterly direction during the next couple of days, continuing to pump in that warmth. 55 was our high today after a morning low of 35. You woke up to a couple of showers this morning, even a couple of ice pellets and snowflakes uh, well north of New York City. But still a nice recovery today. 10 degrees above average for this time of the year. Not the record. That was 65 set way back in 1890. Sun goes down at 543 these days. And we're two weeks away from 7 p.m. sunsets. We'll be setting those clocks forward for daylight saving time starting on Sunday, March 10th. Cloudier but mild tomorrow with a spotty afternoon shower out there. So even though we have more clouds around, I think temperatures will get well up into the 50s, might even touch 60 on a couple of thermometers south and west of New York City. It is showery at times on Wednesday, but with a warm wind getting us well into the 60s in parts of the area and all that warmth kind of building up ahead of the cold front, which approaches Wednesday night, will destabilize our atmosphere. And as that front approaches, that can instigate a squall line to develop and that could contain some rumbles of thunder and definitely some gusty winds, could even be some localized Damaging winds in parts of the area, maybe gusting 40, 50 miles per hour. And then briefly chillier behind the front on Thursday. And I say briefly because by Friday and especially the weekend, we have numbers recovering back up into the 50s. 49 at Newark at this hour, 46 at LaGuardia. You're talking about 50 at Newburgh and Poughkeepsie, 46 down the shore at Belmar, 43 on the island at Islip. A little bit of an increase in the high cloud cover made for a spectacular sunset tonight. Overnight tonight, I think the clouds will tend to lower and thicken a little bit by early tomorrow morning. Not nearly as chilly as recent nights. We're down into the lower 40s in the city, maybe getting down to the freezing mark well north and west. More clouds tomorrow for sure. And there can be a shower late in the day, especially uh, by 3 p.m. I think we're dry, but after that, 4, 5 p.m. Watch for a little batch of showers to move on by. Before the showers move in, the temperature's getting well up in the 50s, maybe even touching 60 in a few spots. A steadier batch of rain can move in later on tomorrow night into the early hours of Wednesday morning. And Wednesday can be a day where you wake up to some showers and then we break out into maybe some brightness into the early part of the afternoon, getting our numbers up to around 60. And then here comes that potential squall line as we head into Wednesday evening, right around dinner time on Wednesday. Could be some gusty winds, maybe some rumbles of thunder with that. And again, brief cold shot coming in on Thursday. With those winds on Wednesday, even outside of the squall line, could be gusting 30 to 40 miles per hour, especially along coastal areas and right along that squall line could be gusting up to about 50 miles per hour. Mostly clear early tonight and then increasing clouds late. Definitely not as chilly. We're down to about 41 for a low. More clouds than sun, but remaining rather mild tomorrow. Watch for a shower in a few spots in the afternoon. 56 
cloudy, mild showers around, more numerous late tomorrow night. We're down to about 49. So here you go on Wednesday, a couple of showers around during the day, but it's really stormy during the evening, and that's what our AccuWeather alert is for. Before that happens, 61, 41, colder on Thursday, first day of March. Yeah, that's coming in like a lamb, 47, and then back up into the 50s over the weekend. Depending on how close a coastal system is, we could get a little bit of rain in here by Saturday into Sunday. Joe, we'll send it back over to you. All right, Jeff, thank you, sir. And that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joe Torres. Before we go, a reminder, Extra Time is now a podcast. You can listen to this show as well as past shows on the go. Just search Extra Time at ABC7NY or wherever you stream your podcasts. We're back live for Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock tonight. We hope to see you then. Have a great evening, everyone.